Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and today our topic is Live a Soul-Guided Life. I'm here with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, the founder and director of the Yoga Hour. Yogacharya O'Brien was ordained to teach in the Kriya Yoga tradition in 1982 by her guru, Jean Davis, who was a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogacharya is an internationally acclaimed spiritual teacher, author, poet, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a Kriya Yoga meditation center with headquarters in San Jose, California. Her latest book, and the one that we are focusing on today, is The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. You can find out more about her books and her teaching schedule at the websites ellengraceobrien.com, and that's Brian has an A, B-R-I-A-N, ellengraceobrien.com, and csecenter.org. Welcome, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm delighted to be back with you again on the Yoga Hour. Thank you, Dr. Trejo. It's a pleasure, and I'm so delighted we can be um you know, drawing from the jewel of abundance uh, once again. So before we begin our dialogue about living a soul-guided life, let's start with a yoga moment, a moment to practice what we're about to discuss, moment of meditation. So let's begin right where we are, wherever we are, and just feel our body in space, feel the supports, perhaps the floor, maybe we're sitting on a chair, just feeling our bodies in space and taking a moment to tune into our breath and take a fully conscious breath, noticing as we inhale, and exhale, not trying to change the natural rhythm of our breathing, just noticing its natural flow. Feeling the cool air in the nostrils on every inhale and the warm air flowing out.
We can imagine on every inhale, we can dive within, dive into our hearts. And on every exhale, we can relax. As we dive within, into our hearts, we feel and are close to the essence of our being. That essence of our being that is the support and substance of all that is. It's within us, between us and all around us. And just by being present, noticing, we can rest there. And as we rest, we may notice thoughts or feelings and realize we can just watch them, watch them as they arise and watch them as they pass away. Like clouds moving across a a deep blue sky, just watching. And as we rest in this essence of our being, we feel the peace that emanates from there. Feeling that peace and allowing it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body as we rest in that deep silence within. And as we draw this moment to a close, remember That peace we've been experiencing is always available to us. As Yogananda described it, it's a portable peace. We can take it with us wherever we go. So let's do that. Bring it with us into our day, into our week. Share it with all we meet. So once again, Yogacharya, it's delightful to be with you again on the Yoga Hour. Today, we're continuing our discussion of your recently published book, The Jewel of Abundance, and the the deep teachings of yoga philosophy that the book offers in such an easily accessible way. I can't believe that the last time we talked together about the book was actually in January, January 3rd, uh, 2019. Mm -hmm. And at the topic at that time was the deep, unchanging happiness or bliss, and the fact that uh, this bliss or happiness that we seek is already present at the core of our being. If listeners would like to access that program, it is entitled Wake Up to Joy, and it is available in the Yoga Hour archive at unity.fm slash the yoga hour. So 
the title of our program today is Live a Soul-Guided Life. So what does living a soul-guided life mean? Well, first I want to thank you for that beautiful meditation. It was such a nice way to begin sort of tapping into our essential nature. And uh, really that's at the heart of living a soul-guided life is being able to do that, um, to recognize that we are you know, more than the body, more than the mind, that we are spiritual beings um, inhabiting the body-mind vehicle. And um, Paramahansa Yogananda said, you know, it is possible to live by the promptings of the soul rather than um, by the patterns uh, in the mind, you know, so prior to spiritual awakening, you know, many of us experienced uh, living in such a way that, um, you know, people describe it as having buttons, you know, getting their buttons pushed. <laughs> That's you know, right. So that you're, you're very often in a reactive mode. And the science of yoga, you know, shows us that these are patterns in the mental field. They're imprints made from past experiences. And if we're not conscious of them, then they become the instigators uh, of our action or, you know, where are we can be led by uh, desires, you know, through the senses, just uh, wanting things that, <laughs> that the body mind wants. Um, which may not be consistent with our highest good. So uh, living a soul-guided life, sometimes I talk about it as a life of self-referral, that's capital S, means um, that that we have a more illumined mind and the ability to discern where you know, a particular um, desire or urge is coming from and then to discern whether it's a good choice for us or not, instead of just blindly uh, careening through life. There's a there's a Sufi story that I include in the book as the story of Mullah Nasruddin, and he's uh, riding a horse, and the horse is just you know careening wildly at top speed down the street, and his friend is standing on the side of the road, and he calls out to him, you know, Mullah, where are you going? And uh, Nasruddin yells back to him, you know, I don't know, ask the horse. <laughs> so that's the, that's the life of being, you know, led by desires and, um, you know, patterns uh, in the mental field um, versus a life of uh, being guided by the soul or a life of self-referral. Uh, yeah, great description. And I, I uh, always, um, when we talk about these patterns, these mental patterns that we have, I always, it always reminds me of, you know, the, the um, kind of the ruts on a dirt road, you know, and how the tires that have been there before make it easier to kind of slip into those deep, you know, ruts that we, um, we have created. And the hopefulness to me in all that is that you can make new ruts, <laughs> you can create in the same way that, you know, we may have been living an unconscious life, and, you know, kind of just falling into these same ruts, getting our buttons pushed, as you, you know, as you say, um, you know, we can also create these new patterns, you know, mm -hmm. that then become easier to fall into in the same way that the old ones were built. Yeah, that's um, that's such a good metaphor. And of course, when you have those ruts, <laughs> um, you know, it's 
it's easy to not only to fall into them and repeat them, but to deepen them so that you, you know, you kind of get stuck in those repeating patterns. Um, But as you describe, you know, with the illumination of the mind that yoga practice brings, we have the opportunity to create a new pathway. And this really relates, as I said, to the science of yoga, where we're creating new neural pathways. You know, these are actual um, patterns in the brain itself um, that are, you know, making uh, new pathways for uh, consciousness to move into. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, it does, it does, you know, raise the question, you know, though, you know, so, um, you know, here we are, we're, you know, going along, we've been, you know, living our life, getting our buttons pushed, and then, you know, we have a, a you know, sense of waking up, spiritual awakening, Um and then the question is, so then how do we know? How do we know, you know, what it is that we really want? Mm. So how do we know that? Yeah, that was really um, an important question for me. Um, and I don't think I thought of it so much at the time of how do I know what I really want, although that that became uh, a significant question for me a little later. Um, the first question that I asked was, you know, how do I know what is true and how do I know what is the best choice? Um, because when we're outwardly oriented, you know, we're trying to make a decision about life. You know, we will ask our friends, you know, we'll, we'll do some readings and, you know, now we Google, uh, you know, whether it's like symptoms in the body, you know, if we're trying to discern what's going on with our body or, you know, it's a choice to make in relationship or a vocational job. I mean, it's always good to gather information, but I didn't know, you know, how I would find the ultimate authority you know, um, and so I often would feel myself kind of stuck at that mental level of going back and forth between, you know, different possibilities or different choices and not knowing how to discern, you know, what was really the highest and best. And um, so what I discovered about yoga that was really significant for me is that, of course, at the soul level of our being, at uh, the, the level of our essential self, we do have a clarity that illumines the faculty of discernment and allows us to see clearly um, and to know for ourselves, you know, directly what what is the best choice for us. And the, the way that we that we know that, and the way that we discern it is, you know, maybe say we gather all this information and we're trying to decide. Um, but and when we learn how to um, kind of breathe through it, to slow down, to meditate, to contemplate, then ultimately we see the decision that comes uh, comes with a quality of peace that arises in the body and the mind. And for me, that's always been the calling card of, you know, what is the best choice? Because, um, you know, it's not always the choice that I like the best. Um, uh, you know, that sometimes, you know, that takes us further into a, a problematic situation, but it is the, the choice that is illumined as the highest and best that will bring a quality of quiet and peace, kind of a settled quality to the body and mind. Um, so that tool for discernment. And then, you know, regarding your, your question of how, how do we know what we really want, um, 
you know, yoga gives us a philosophy for discerning at the highest level what we really want, you know, what we're looking for. You know, we're looking for happiness. We're looking for wisdom, for knowledge. We're looking for life. What is life giving? You know, those qualities of the soul that, you know, in initially we're looking for outwardly, right? We're looking for happiness outwardly. We're looking for wisdom. We're looking for, you know, ways to um, be alive, to maintain our aliveness of the body, Um looking for the fountain of youth, you know, however that is. But, you know, this yoga tells us that those three yearnings, which are our deepest yearnings of what we really want for happiness, for wisdom, and for life, aliveness, are the very qualities of the soul. That's that's why we look for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And only to, you know, realize eventually that what we've been searching for outwardly is, of course, you know, within us all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't understand that, you know, that whole teaching about the kingdom of God being within, it didn't really make sense to me. Um, I guess, I don't know if I was looking for a place or something (laughs) and I didn't really know what within was. And, and so the model of understanding this within, of course, is consciousness itself and learning how to look within, learning how to discover, Um, your own essential nature at the root, you know, what is the highest happiness that that we seek, you know, according to yoga, it's ananda or bliss, which is innate. Um, You know, that doesn't mean that we don't want uh, things uh, in life that um, bring us happiness or pleasure. Um, But the science of yoga has us learn how to make the distinction between pleasure and bliss. So pleasure um, is of the senses and it's temporary and the bliss is of the soul and it is unchanging. So to make the distinction between those two is a really big deal because it gets us off that hamster wheel of trying to fulfill that search for happiness that we want, that happiness that is unending, you know, it helps us stop looking for that in things that are temporary. Hmm. You know, we appreciate things that are temporary and enjoy them, but we don't expect them to stay the same or to uh, continue to, you know, bring us uh, happiness or even delight or even pleasure, you know, um, even even with something as simple as uh, food or beverage, you know, like if you enjoy coffee, like I like to coffee, I drink a cup of coffee in the morning. Um, and I have one cup because I'm very aware that the second cup is not as good as the first. That's right. You know, and it's just an interesting thing to observe. And, you know, same if, you, you know, anything that you, you enjoy like that, whether it's an ice cream cone or piece of chocolate the first first experience of it is is pleasurable the second is less so right yes which is something that you know we can we can observe yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean you know sometimes you're just like well you don't have to keep eating the chocolate bar in order to try to find that first pleasure that you have because it's not going to be there <laughs> that's right but that happens right yeah, that's right 
So your book, uh, The Jewel of Abundance, is about uh, prosperity in all of its forms and its widest, you know, definition. So involving much more than material things, it also refers to our energy, life force. And you describe how we can arrange conditions within and around us to encourage the prosperous flow of energy in our lives. And part of this is um, this, this um, you know, Sanskrit term of prana, uh, which is vital force, um, life force. And we may be more familiar with another uh, Sanskrit word that we might have heard in a yoga class, um, pranayama, which obviously has to do with prana, and um, it's associated with breathing. But prana, um, the Sanskrit word prana, involves more than the breath. So can you tell us a little bit more about prana and why it's important to have an awareness of prana as we open up to understanding our spiritual nature? Let me just, let me turn to the book, Um this might be helpful there in the chapter that that talks about what we really want talks about prana i mean basically prana is life force and prana is our energy it's our vitality and we think when we think about um prosperity um in in all of its forms you know it's really in our relationship with energy whether that's money or health or relationship it all it all comes down to energy mm-hmm. and so prana is our energy it's our life force and um, so there's no enjoying a prosperous life if you don't have vitality um, mm-hmm. you just don't have the ability to cultivate it or to enjoy it so um there's a, a paragraph here in the book that says prana acts as a courier for our awareness, allowing the mind, intellect, and intuition to investigate higher realities leading up to the threshold of the highest realization. It allows us to breathe, sing, love, dance, create, worry, run, and imagine. All that we do depends on prana. It allows us to function, and it facilitates spiritual experience and perception. So when our systems are out of balance, prana cannot flow efficiently. A body that is out of balance may be shouting the loudest, I am most important, pay attention you know, to this part that's, that's aching, while a worried mind insists, I'm the one you must listen to. And so what's happening? How do we discern? How do we find our own center? So we find that, you know, of course, prana can... Um, sort of be um, exacerbated in some part of the system, you know, whether it's the body uh, or the mind, um, the energy might be pulled up there and drawing our attention. Um, but what we want is the free flow of energy so that we have vital body and luminous mind, clear discernment, and the ability to connect um, you know, deeply to the soul itself, to the, to the self. Mm-hmm. No, so, such a great um, description that you gave there. And one, I think people, um, although this, this concept of, you know, prana, um, we don't have a, you know, similar word in, in, uh, in uh, English, but everyone has that experience. They know what you mean, you know, so that vitality. Mm-hmm. So um, part of, uh, the yoga tradition is looking at our 
selves as having more than just the physical body, actually um, five sheaths um, that is called the pancha, pancha maya kosha, you know, model. Um, these five sheaths that cover the soul. So let's talk about that, you know, a little bit. Can you explain um, briefly about those five sheaths? Yes, I I think the Panchakosha model is the, is one of the most brilliant models that you, that yoga has to offer us, and um, to me, it's a, a very clear way to answer the question. How does the one reality, the one self, the one spirit, um, become many? You know, in other words, we we understand from the philosophy of yoga that there's one absolute reality that is expressing as all that is. And that reality is the same. You know, the divine self of me is the same as the divine self of you and of everyone else and everything else for that matter. It's just one reality. So how is it that it all looks so different um, and so when I was teaching about this at a retreat the other day, I said, I have one word, you know, that, that gives the answer to that question. And uh, that word is lampshades. <laughs> so, so, you know, that got the student's attention, you know, and so I could just tell my story about how, you know, for me that the answer to that question is, you know, if you, if you've ever gone into a lighting store or to Home Depot or someplace like that, where they have a display of all these different lamps, um, what you can realize and know, of course, is that the electricity and the light is the same, but the coverings are all different. Perfect. And um, the uh, that is such a such a great metaphor, and everyone's had that experience of you know going into uh, you know a lighting store and seeing all of the different uh, you know the different lampshades. Um, and with that, uh, we are coming to the end of the first segment, and I'm sure we'll come back to this um, really fascinating model of the of the these five coverings of the soul when we come back from the break. So you're listening to the Yoga Hour with host and founder of the show, Yogacharya O'Brien. She's the author of several books, including the one we we're discussing today, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga which is available on amazon.com or from her website, ellengraceobrien.com, where you can also find out more about her upcoming teaching and retreat schedule and all of her books. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show. When we come back from the break, we'll explore more about living a soul-guided life. We'll be right back. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. 
go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. One of the other aspects of helping to really identify a true new beginning is being willing to sit in deep questions and pay attention to your answers to those deep questions. Deep questions like, what does my soul really long to do and be? If I didn't have to worry about paying bills, what would I really want to do? I'm not suggesting that you drop the the real responsibilities of adulthood, but you can drop that from your process of questioning. What does my heart and soul long for? And what do I need to do to begin to build my life, more of my life, to look like that? To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just $12.99 for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org shop. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, one drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all. With beautiful photography by Brett Hurd, this is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Do you dread going to work every day and just pray for Friday? Get a fresh perspective on your career with Mo Fall and bring your soul to work every Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern, here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A leadership mentor and career coach, Mo can help you go from underpaid, unsatisfied, and unappreciated to loving your life and career again. Join the show and let Mo guide you to make some real life changes. Tune in every Thursday here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome back to The Yoga Hour. You're here with the founder and host of the show, Yogacharya O'Brien, and I am the producer and co-host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. So uh, Yogacharya, in the last segment, we were just getting to the, the um, these five sheaths or coverings of the soul, and you had this wonderful visual image of the lampshade model before I, before I had to bring it to a close at the end of the segment. So let's pick it up there. So um, so tell us more about these five coverings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lampshade uh, 
metaphor is just a really practical way, isn't it, to kind of get the visual that that there's one light, you know, the one energy, the electricity, and one light shining in all the lamps is the same light, um, but the outer covering is different. So that is a really helpful way, you know, you look around and you see people who look so different from you. But if you think about this metaphor of the lampshade, then you can understand that the light within is the same light. It is the same divine self. Now, yoga, of course, is giving us um, a, a more comprehensive model than my lampshade metaphor, um, which has to do with how that one reality uh, moves into expression on the physical plane. And um, the physical body is simply the outer covering, which is what a kosha means, you know, a sheath or a covering. So the physical body is the uh, outermost uh, covering. And then the there are other coverings that are progressively more subtle. And so the next uh, covering of the luminous, radiant divine self would be prana and beyond that mind. And then this uh, discernment faculty or the wisdom sheath. And then the bliss sheath that is considered um, right uh, next to the soul, having the greatest proximity or the greatest subtlety, I think is the way to describe it. So these um, various coverings are not a physical um, except for the, you know, the physical covering, which is the physical body, but they're uh, subtle coverings and they're in, they're in, interpenetrated. So they're not like, um, I'd say they're not like covers on a bed, like, you know, one blanket laying upon another. Um, it's helpful if you think, um, I think of a rainbow, perhaps, you know, where the colors are interpenetrated, but yet there's a distinct uh, sense that you can um, perceive. And so the body, the physical body is, you know, permeated with prana, with, with energy, and the mind and the body are connected. But in, in order to talk about this, in order to understand it, yoga gives us this model where we can look at each, you know, distinctly and what their qualities are. Um, and the model really helps us, I think, understand, in a sense, the role of meditation and of yoga itself, um, which is how to move our attention and our awareness, you know, from the physical covering, from the outermost covering of our being into uh, to consciously be aware of and uh, rest in our essence of being at, at, at the core. So, you know, we can move our attention and awareness through those various layers and also, you know, become aware of them, which is the, um, you know, one of the key meditation methods of Vedanta, which is to inquire, um, you know, who am I? Uh, you know, am I, am I the body? You know, am I my energy? Am I the mind? Am I discernment? And, you know, this progressive um, contemplative inquiry process has us understand um, that we need to turn that lamp of our attention and awareness around. So instead of looking 
um, be outside of the self um, for what we are, we turn it around um, and ask, well, who is looking, <laughs> who is observing, who is asking? Um, and that is the um, fundamental shift um, that is the practice of yoga itself. That That's what yoga means, you know, is returning to the self. Mm. So there's the model. We have this, you know, beautiful model of these, you know, coverings of the soul. Um, would you give us an example of how to use this model? And we've been talking about energy. We were talking about this prana, this uh, vitality, this vital force. Um, how can we use this model to bring that balance of energy into our lives? First, just um, knowing um, that we can observe these various coverings of the self, you know, that we are the observer. And um, so that we can observe, you know, our faculty of discernment, we can observe our thinking mind, we can observe our energy, we can observe the body. So simply knowing that in and of itself is a profound uh, tool for us. And then once we learn how to use that model to recognize these various coverings of the self, um, we can um, begin to pay attention to where our energy uh, and focus is residing. So in the book, I, I tell the story about what happened for me when I had a torn rotator cuff in my shoulder, which is um, really a painful experience. And um, so, you know, sometimes uh, <clears throat> surgery is uh, recommended to repair it and sometimes uh, just letting it heal by itself. So, you know, I just talk about my journey of trying to figure out what to do. You know, should I have surgery or, you know, to repair it or should I let it heal by itself? And, uh, you know, I did my homework. I, I went to various um, healers. I went to, you know, orthopedic surgeon, um, you know, went to uh, acupuncture, you know, did the East-West health model. But, you know, and so the advice was uh, mixed, you know, some even the holistic healers thought I should have surgery and uh, an orthopedic surgeon said, well, you could just wait, you know, so no one was able to decide for me, I had to decide for myself, but I could observe uh, my energy getting stuck at any of these layers, you know, so when the body was really in pain, you know, all the messages were coming from the body, you know, I couldn't raise my arm above my head and it, you know, it just ached and all, you know, all my attention and awareness was going there, you know, fix me, <laughs> fix me, ouch. Um, and then when I was trying to decide, I was really um, stuck at the kind of discursive level of mind, the thinking mind, you know, that had information <laughs> and I was just going back and forth, back and forth, um, you know, one day I would decide, okay, that's it. I'm going to have surgery. I'm going to do it. This is too painful. I'm going for it. And then the next day, you know, I would think, well, you know, they say that surgery doesn't always fix it. You know, maybe I'll have surgery and then I'll still have pain and that would not be good. And so then I would say, okay, I won't have surgery, you know, so just back and forth, back and forth. And, um, and then ultimately what happened 
was um, I, I was blessed with a moment of divine grace. And, you know, I was just sharing with my husband how frustrated I was and not being able to make a decision about this. And he said, well, what I know is that uh, you'll make the right choice and that you'll you'll know what the right choice is. You don't know right now, but you will. Mm-hmm. And um, that sort of popped my um, attention, you know, out of that stuck place of thinking mind and reminded me that we have a deeper um, sheath, a deeper covering of wisdom uh, at the deeper level of our being that clearly brings us um, wisdom. And so I just had to wait for it. I had to wait for, you know, my mind to settle um, and for my attention and awareness to move into the wisdom sheath, the Vigyanamaya Kosha, it's called, to where I could know. And that ultimately did happen. And I knew then what the right choice was for me. And as I said in the first segment of the program, what I how I knew that I knew was that I became peaceful. Mm. You know, before I was not peaceful, I was unsettled. I was back and forth, back and forth. And then ultimately when the decision, the right decision for me um, came, it came with a sense of peace. And the important thing to know about yoga is that um, there is no, um, you know, we are directed to be our own authority in our own life. And that's what this self-referral or living by the guidance of the soul means. So um, we all, we want to learn this skill of how to know what is the highest and best choice for us, because there's no um, prescription about, well, in this situation, you should do this, you know, in that situation, you should, there are general guidance principles but the ultimate um, practice that we want to learn is how to develop self-referral, how to know what is highest and best in any given situation. And we can. That's what's really hopeful about it. We can. And, you know, part of that, of course, is learning how to slow down so, you know, we don't rush off um, without having uh, allowed our attention and awareness to settle. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to something we've already mentioned of the importance of meditation and having a regular, consistent meditation practice. So can let's let's talk about that a little bit. So um, what do you see as, you know, the the role of meditation in really everything we've been discussing? You know, so accessing these, you know, this wisdom, uh, really living our living a, a soul guided life. What what would you say about that? Meditation is essential because it is the primary tool that we have, um, and it's accessible to everyone, and it's free. You know, uh, it's the primary tool that we have for becoming more self aware. You know, um, the process of meditation, as it's taught in yoga, is learning how to turn our attention and awareness around from flowing out, you know, through the mind, into the senses, into the objects of the senses, um, learning how to reverse that flow of uh, attention and awareness um, to uh, consciously 
abide in that which we are. You know, the basic uh, definitions of, you know, yoga, of meditation that we find in the Yoga Sutra, you know, that, you know, when the mind becomes quiet, that the seer is revealed by itself. And so it's, but we all have to learn that, you know, I, I was saying, talking in the first segment about how I didn't know, you know, how to find um, myself, you know, how to know this kingdom, which is consciousness, you know, because like so many others, I was caught up in looking with the mind but we can never find it with the mind um, because it is beyond mind. It is what illumines the mind. So yoga gives us really beautiful tools for learning how to enter um, that divine kingdom, which is consciousness, supreme consciousness itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just a, a really you know wonderful uh, map. Um, and, in the map, the you know there are three limbs of the eight limbs of yoga, you know which are um, contemplation, meditation, and um, samadhi or oneness. So um, you had a, a really nice quote from Swami, is it Adiswarananda? Mm-hmm. Um, that you sure. offer um, at the beginning of chapter 10 in the book that talks about the difference between contemplation and meditation. So he says, the contemplative state may be compared to a bee buzzing around a flower, about to light on it and sip the nectar from within. The state of meditation is reached when the bee is already seated on the flower and has begun to taste the sweetness of the nectar. So let's just talk about that for a minute. So this contemplation meditation, you know, flow uh, that happens in, in meditation from, uh, you know, the yoga perspective. Well, this is a beautiful quote, isn't it? And it, um, in the yoga model, um, there's a sort of a step-by-step inward progression And the stage of, you know, contemplation is where we bring our attention and awareness to focus on one thing. So that's a, that's the stage where, you know, as a beginning meditator, you're focusing, say, just focusing on the breath, you know, of experiencing your breath. And you'll notice that you'll be aware of the breath and then your attention and awareness will wander off to thinking about something. And then you become identified with that thought process and engaged in it and forget all about, you know, in the, in the space of just a minute, you know, forget all about that you were, you know, there to meditate and focus on the breath. But then, you know, beautifully awareness itself, you know, consciousness itself will, um, you know, illumine the mental field and allow you to see that you've become distracted and then you bring your attention and awareness back to observing the breath. So at the concentration stage, this happens several times. And then there's a moment when awareness expands 
um, and begins to flow towards the object of contemplation. And that experience is meditation. And it is said that the experience of meditation actually happens through this combination of self-effort and divine grace. Um, so it's like... Um, you know, a door opening or something, you know, maybe with with concentration, you're knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and then it just opens, you know, Yogananda had a beautiful chant, all the doors do open themselves, all the lights do light themselves. And that's what happens in the experience of meditation and the ultimate experience of samadhi or oneness um, awareness. That happens by grace. What we do with self-effort is uh, at the stage of uh, concentration, of uh, learning how to steady the mental field um, by bringing it to one point, and then it that naturally shifts into meditation. Yes, and uh, one of the things I've appreciated about um, you know, and guidance that you've offered in various uh, settings for, you know, for me and for others is to notice that, that that's something you can actually, you know, notice when you go from that state of concentration, you know, into a, a state of meditation. And that's a, an important part of, of, um, of the meditative meditation practice. Yeah, I think that tool um, helps us to steady our attention, you know, gives you something else to focus on because the you know the main obstacle is the uh, movement of the mind you know it's ordinary state um you know uh, of just shifting back and forth between um different thoughts and so when we are really curious when we're consciously observing what's happening that helps to slow that whole process down mm. Mm. So we've been talking about um, this uh, super conscious meditation, but perhaps we should pause there and you know and say, so well, what is that super conscious meditation? Uh, it's just a way to describe a heightened state of awareness, you know, that is beyond the ordinary thinking mind. Uh, this meditative uh, consciousness, super consciousness, is actually the ground of our being. We are super conscious. <laughs> we mm. we are, you know, consciousness itself. And um, so super consciousness is our is our awareness. And that uh, light of consciousness that we are is what illumines the mind, the, the ordinary thinking mind. So when we meditate, we're we're moving our attention and awareness back to abide in that uh, state of consciousness, which is really the ground of our being. It's it's above and beyond ordinary states of consciousness. So when we come back to the title, you know, living a soul guided life or live a soul guided life, and obviously from the way you've been describing, you know, meditation, that's a that's um, that's a tool that we can use to uh, live a soul guided life and to move ourselves. Um, as you know, you you gave the example um, of yourself, you know, kind of moving into the the uh, sheath of the wisdom sheath. Um, so how um, what other um, I'm trying to think of how to formulate the question, you know, so um, for those people who 
I guess, um, don't have a meditation practice, you know, who are maybe moving towards one. Um, and maybe from this conversation can see the importance of one in trying to live a soul-guided life. What guidance would you offer them? Just do it. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> just, just, just start, you know, just begin and begin simply. And, um, you know, when, when I, uh, you know, if you're led to meditation, then just follow that lead and, um, sit each day and meditate and, um, it's not hard to do. And I, I think that one of the things that I like to tell people when I'm teaching meditation is that everybody already knows how to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of comes as a surprise to people. You know, it's like in the same way that we know how to sleep, you know, we know how to change our consciousness from the waking state to the sleep state, although it's not something that we actually do right? It's something that happens, you know, and, but so we're all familiar with, oh, I, I change my consciousness from being awake in this ordinary waking state to being asleep. Well, we, we also know how to change our consciousness from the ordinary waking state into this meditative awareness. Um, and it, it, it's something that everybody has experienced at some point in time. They just don't know that it's meditation. They don't call it meditation. But, you know, generally I say, if you can think of a time, you know, maybe you were walking um, through the, the the Redwood Forest. <laughs> I live in Santa Cruz, so that comes to my mind. So you, maybe you're walking through the beautiful forest or you're walking along a beach or, you know, sometimes nature is um, very supportive of um, helping us clear our minds you know so you're walking along a, a a forest path and you're all alone and it's quiet there and then you just have this experience of clarity of great clarity and along with that clarity peace because you're not thinking about anything you're just clear open peaceful mm-hmm. and everybody has had that experience at some point um, and that is a taste of meditation. That's a taste of what happens, you know, when you, when your attention and awareness moves out of being, uh, captivated by the discursive mind and, you know, expands into, um, awareness of our essential nature, which is pure and still, uh, conscious, unmoving, unchanging, you know, pure existence being. So that's meditation and everybody has done it and everybody knows how to do it um, because it is natural to us, that shift in our awareness. So when we quote unquote, learn how to meditate, all we're doing is arranging conditions so that that shift of our attention and awareness can occur in the same way that we, you know, fluff the pillow so that we can change from the sleep, the waking state to the sleep state. Mm. That's just really, really beautiful. And I think inspiring for us all to um, either begin a meditation practice or to rededicate ourselves to our own. And with that, we've come to the end of the show. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, and we've been discussing how to live a soul-guided life with the Yoga Hour's founder and host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. 
Yogacharya O'Brien is the author of the book we've been discussing today, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. She is um, uh, available in many places over the next few months. I encourage everyone to check out her website, uh, ellengraceobryan.com. She will be a plenary speaker at the International Association of Yoga Therapy's annual conference in Newport Beach, on uh, June 16th, she'll be leading a four-day Kriya Yoga retreat at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, beginning on July 25th. She will be in several locations in Oregon towards the end of June and will be giving a workshop at the Kapalu Center for Yoga and Health in Western Massachusetts in August. You can find out her full schedule of programs, also more information about her and her books at her website, ellengraceobryan.com. Thank you so much for this conversation, Yogachar. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much for facilitating it and for all that you and the Yoga Hour team do to um, keep bringing this message about yoga um, to people everywhere. Thank you for that. Mm. Join me next time when our guest is Sarah Ann Shockley, the author of The Pain Companion. We'll be discussing how to live with and move beyond chronic pain. I look forward to being with you again next time. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 